0: The following Dharma talk was given by Jodi Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Really nice to be back in the city. I'm coming from the week long intensive up at the monastery that we end each year. Um, they're sitting right now up there, and we'll be finishing at midnight. Um, we're going to end a little bit earlier here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's both um, c- celebrating. Um, The end of the year and entering a new year, a new beginning, and recognizing the life of the Buddha as our own, as our own awakening. This ceremony is called Fusatsu, it's a renewal of vows, Um, in particular, the Bodhisattva vows, the way of being in the world to be a benefit for ourselves and for all beings. Um, we each may have taken some kind of vow in our life, um, and we know that vows need to be renewed. It's not like you take it and and it's a shoe in um, We have to keep going back again and again and making them fresh. I was... Um, fortunate to, uh, many of you know of my Dharma brother, Yukon, who's in a process of coming to the end of his life. Um, What a joyful being, I must say. Um, And I'd stop in his room through the session and just sometimes he'd um, be asleep or just quiet. I could see his eyes, eyes moving. There was some Movement. I'd introduce myself. Hi, I'm, I'm, I call him Monkey. Hi, Monkey. It's me, Hojin. Getting ready to go to the city. Uh, I have a fusatsu, so I'll be back tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. I just wanted to give you some lovin' and see you before I go. And it's quiet. And all of a sudden, he goes fresh. So that's what fusatsu is, is to renew, to make fresh again um, our vows in the world. What for you is the most important thing? That's where the vow touches. It's not a resolution. It's not like our resolve to, you know, those are good. Um, It's different, I think. But it touches our our deepest sort of way we want to be, way we are and want to keep recognizing and renewing um, our virtues, our virtuous life, the life of the Buddha that we each are. But we have to keep going back and renewing. So what, for you, is the most important thing that you might want to refresh You may have many vows, but maybe there's one this evening that's broad, doesn't have to be specific, but that you vow to. So, um, refreshing and renewing our vows, first making them, and even though this may be your first ceremony, I realize many of you are here for the first time, so I thought it would be good to actually go through what we're doing and um, help you enter it, because it all makes sense, sort of creating this sacred space together so that we can um, touch where we have done things, all evil karma ever committed by me. You know, if we want to um, be um, create peace, we have to see where we don't create peace. If we want an unhindered life, we have to take responsibility where we hinder life. And so these are all, it may sound negative, but it's actually, in Buddhism, a lot of times the negative's a positive. But we say it in the negative, no, don't do this. That's a positive, don't do this. That will make you suffer. That will create difficulty. So this ceremony, Fusatsu, is translated as continuous good practice. How do we have continuous good practice or stop unwholesome action? So we're learning in our life through the teachings how to recognize what's unskillful, and, and be more skillful. But we need skills, like in anything. So um, the practice in Buddhism teaches us skills to live the life of, of an awakened being, a Buddha, to bring that out, all those virtuous qualities. And that's what we turn towards. So if, if we're angry... We turn towards compassion. If we're impatient, we cultivate the virtue of patience. So, this is based on the precepts, the moral and ethical guidelines to live a life in harmony as completely as a Buddha as we can. So it, it does aim high. <laughs> Why not? Aim high. So, we don't forget. You might notice when you come, we repeat things a lot. Every evening, we we say the vows again. Vows are a bundle of energy that help us move in a particular direction. The word for vow is sometimes translated as determination. We make up our mind. We're determined to do something when we have a direction, when we have a rudder. So we're kind of making a rudder. So the ceremony begins with zazen, so that we can calm our fires, calm down. To stop the turmoil, we have to see the turmoil. We have to become aware of it. And so then we have our breath and our body that we can start to calm the fires down. So that's how we start. That's how we can renew. we got to calm down so we can see. And then we do bows. There's offerings. So I did it on, on behalf of all of us. And you'll get to do your own offerings. In this case, it's incense, candlelight, flowers, water, earth, the elements, the aggregates that we're made of. So that's us up there, (laughs) represented who we are. And then bowels. And um, bowels help us touch the humility that's needed in our life. It it humbles us. It does me, at least. I'll speak for myself. Going down to the ground. I can't see anything. I'm trusting. I touch the ground. I raise my Bodhi mind. That's what that is, raising the Bodhi mind. And when you sit a period of zazen and you see, you know, you want to be, like, take off or blast off into some peace, and all you see is a lot of churning, does that not humble you (laughs) when you see your mind and all that it's doing? And so the bowels help us remember how important humility is and reverence. And ways we begin things in our life and end our important junctures. So we begin very consciously and deliberately in that way. And then we do a unifying mudra that you, it's called gasho. It's bringing together two things, non-dual, right, into one. So when we, when we do all these mudras this is again is is a reminder when you put your body into that shape it brings two things together so it again it helps us remember who we are we bow to each other we bow to the salt <laughs> we bow to the river we bow to our cushion we bow to our dog we bow to our painting We bow to our bed. We bow to our food. All these things that we are, that are none other than us. The precepts are designed to function in the world of this and that, in the relative world, in differences, in the world of good and evil, They're based on the realization of the Buddha. They are the definition of a Buddha, the precepts, how a realized being lives in the world of differences. And this word karma means is action. That's kind of the basic definition. There's a lot you can study about karma. But basically what we make of ourselves through action what we do. Karma is a simple way of describing cause and effect. This being, that becomes. That being, this becomes. For every cause, there's an effect. And that effect becomes the next cause. And it creates an effect. And that effect becomes the next cause, and on and on. So how we shape ourselves and how we are shaped by ourselves through thought, speech, and action, body, mouth, and thought. We inherit karma from our past, from previous moments of existence in the form of a self, as a bundle of formations, elements, or we call them skandhas or conditions. And that past shapes how we understand and construct our present intentions. And one characteristic of karma is there's a force that propagates itself. It continues. So if you remember the five remembrances, I am of the nature to grow old. I am the nature to become ill. I am the nature to die, everything that I own or belongs to me, I cannot take with me. The only thing that will continue is my actions. So here in this Gatha of Atonement, we're addressing particularly the harmful karma that we've created, or negative actions that we've done since beginningless beginning until now, all evil karma ever created by me since of old, on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Those are what we call the three poisons. We let it kind of affect us, burden us, And that helps us move forward when we accept it, when we recognize the effects of our actions. And letting that recognition affect us, we're less likely to do it again. That's why it's helpful to acknowledge it. And that begins a healing process. And it's not just because we say it, it's done. We have to (laughs) keep refreshing. This, this all evil karma ever committed by me on account of my beginningness. Greed, anger, and ignorance. And that's based on separation. Greed, anger, these poisons. We learn them. They're based on the illusion that things are separate from us. And when you turn the three poisons around, they're the three virtues the virtue of compassion the virtue of wisdom and the virtue of enlightenment so ignorance isn't like you're stupid you know it's not like you're ignorant it's just there's it's a bit dark in us we don't we don't see so there's not a presence of light or the light is dim We don't really know what's real and true, and that's been going on for a long time. And then, wow, you're here in the Dharma. You found your way to the Dharma. What's that? We don't quite see ourselves as being unified with all things. That takes time. We could say like, yeah, I I feel it. We we all have glimpses of that, moments where we experience that or have brought that on intentionally. This is the basis of the Buddha's realization and the basis of the precepts. Born of my body, mouth and thought. That's the way we create karma. Harmful and good karma. What we do with our bodies, what we do with our words. And my teacher used to say the one that we don't think happens so much as what we do with our thought, that what we think creates karma. How we use our mind. And especially it hurts us because we're thinking it and it's a painful thought or it's a a harmful thought. And just look at what it feels like if you recognize that and you're thinking it, you'll feel it. And so we have, you know, the person doesn't know we're doing it. They might. It's out there. But we have to live with that crinkle. And usually we feel it if we're practicing. It's, it's a habit pattern, so we'll still go to that attack or that, that negative thing because that seems to be more familiar for many of us. But what's good is when you feel the crinkle and you're like, I don't want to do that, and you see it's sort of on an automatic, but that's where we renew our vow. We atone. We become at one with, yep, yeah, that's here, that's, that's my mind. <laughs> we don't have to get mad, it's not the enemy. We take responsibility. And then there's a response ability, it's not a reaction all the time. We can go, oh, I see that has arisen, and respond. When we atone, we allow for it to be our life and breath. And then we return to that unity. And then we chant the names of the Buddha and Bodhisattvas. Namu. Namu means be one with. So when we touch these Namu, Avalokiteshvara, Shakyamuni, we touch ourselves. We touch those qualities in ourselves. What is being one with something? What is that, being one with? What is the experience of that? It's a real thing where our whole body and mind is Unified with something, being one with it, not apart from it. Every breath, every cell in our body at one with. And so, a part of this ceremony is uh, something called invocation. Have you heard that? It's what we're doing with our mind. So, as we're chanting these things, we're invoking that reality. We're bringing it forth. That's what it means to invoke. Bodhidharma, who is the uh, first ancestor of Zen in China, in his teaching he spoke about invocation. I'm going to read that to you. Buddha means awareness. The awareness of body and the mind that prevents evil from arising in either to invoke means to call to mind, to call constantly to mind the rules of discipline, the precepts, the moral and ethical teachings, and to follow them with all your might. This is what's meant by invoking. Invoking has to do with thought and not with language. To invoke, you have to understand the dharma of invoking. It's not If it's not present in your mind and, and your mouth chants an empty name, chanting and invoking are worlds apart. Chanting is done with the mouth. Invoking is done with the mind. And because invoking comes from the mind, it's the door to awareness. Can you feel that? I know sometimes when I'm chanting, I go into oblivion, like I'm not, I am just chanting, I'm moving my mouth, I'm not invoking. I can feel the difference then when I call to mind what I'm actually saying, big difference. And after a while, you get to feel that and the the power of calling it to mind that's why we don't look around. Like you think, why well, is everybody just like chanting like, like this, you know, eyes lowered? It's cause you're, you're, you're calling that to mind. You can't be like, Hey, what's he doing over there? You know, you lose track. You gotta concentrate. It's a practice. That's why the eyes are lowered. Chanting is centered in the mouth and appears as sound. If you cling to appearances while searching for meaning, you won't find a thing. Thus, the sages of the past cultivated introspection and not speech. The mind is the source of all virtues, and this mind is the chief of all powers. The eternal bliss of Nirvana, of um, extinguishing all our um, uh, kleshas, our, our afflictions, being free—that's Nirvana free from suffering. The eternal bliss of nirvana comes from the mind at rest, at zazen, resting. Birth in the three realms, desire, form, and formlessness, also comes from the mind. The mind is the door to every world, and the mind is the free ford to the other shore. Those who know where the door is, don't worry about reaching it. Those who know where the fort is don't worry about crossing it. And this was written about the year 500. (laughs) Same problems then as we have now. Realization is now. Why worry about gray hair? But the true door is hidden and can't be revealed. I have only touched upon the beholding mind That beholding mind is the mind that unifies us with the Buddhas we chant. That beholding mind is the mind that can invoke the presence of Buddhas and ancestors. The deluded mind will keep us from seeing the Buddha we truly are truly. And if we cannot be disgusted or dissuaded and appreciate, we can notice what is arising, let it be, and bow in reverence and humility. The three poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance or the thoughts of yourself begin to weaken and give way to our virtues." Namu past seven Buddhas, the Buddhas that preceded Shakyamuni and the historical Buddha, his own realization, Manjushri, Namu Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, Samantabhadra Bodhisattva of Compassion, they sit on both sides of the Buddha. So, part of our, the Buddha, the aware, awareness we are, on both sides of that sits compassion and wisdom. Wisdom of the emptiness of all the five conditions. And then warming that up with compassion. Because if we just see it's empty, we might not care. We might become nihilistic. And just say, oh, what's it matter? It's nothing. It's not it. It's got to be warm. It's got to be cared for deeply. It's because it's empty it could be so diverse. Like it is. And amazing, we got to stay warm. Take care of things. There's a lot of suffering. Avalokiteshvara is the hearer of the cries of the world. The one who hears the cries. That's you. That's me. Tonight, there's going to be Avalokiteshvaras in bar rooms. Not I think yet enough to drink. If you can't do this, you're done. That means taxi. <laughs> That's somebody who helps us, saves us. That's Avalokiteshvara manifesting. And so all of these Buddhas and Bodhisattvas is our potential. So we become one with that potential. So you see how it goes? First we bow and then we, we, well, we create sacred space. We, we offer, we bow, we acknowledge our past karma, our, our negative actions. And then we can take refuge in the Buddha Dharma. And, wait a second. In this in sentient beings are numberless after that skipped over there. Okay. So all of it opens way to keep opening, to keep opening. And then we chant the four vows, restating our bodhisattva intention. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them desires are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them. And we're talking about desires that are unskillful, not the desire that you want to sit or that you came here to practice, not that kind of desire, but the desires that are harmful. Desires are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them. The dharmas are boundless, I vow to master them. The Buddha way is unattainable, but I vowed to attain it. All of them are sort of impossibilities, but we vow. We vow. No edges. It's impossible to put a frame around any of these. So, don't limit yourself. To me the impossibility of these vows is the essence of practice. We call it filling the well with snow, carrying shovels full of snow down from the mountain peak and throwing it into a well. The sages do it all the time, and they get other sages to help them do it, (laughs) it's ridiculous. But we do it. Of course, you can't fill a well that way. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to bother them. They're not concerned with the goal, it's the process. That's what we involve ourselves in. Like Dogen says, practice and enlightenment are one. Okay. So, I'm going to look at Vow with you for tonight. We'll sit again after this, after we take refuge, is what we'll end with being one with the Buddha, being one with the Dharma, and being one with the Sangha. And I think it all boils down to one word being. And maybe all the precepts are contained in just being Buddha, taking refuge in Buddha. That's the whole of it. So after the fusatsu, will sit, and will sit with what's most important, just let it Let yourself absorb, turn into yourself. See how you want to turn in this new beginning, how you want to refresh your life. Choose wisely what will be a good thing that that will impress you so you'll remember to turn in that direction. So vows can be a little challenging, too. I've been thinking a lot about the importance of kindness, something I've had to um, practice. I don't think I always was, so (laughs) it's good to recognize, you know, our greed, our anger and ignorance, like... I yeah, I'm greedy. I, like it's all right, it's all right. You know, I practice it. I don't. I don't want to be greedy, but I'm greedy. Uh, sometimes I'm angry. I endure it. It's honest. That's the way we can move forward. So, vow you can re- continually return to over and over but the importance of kindness and the courage and strength it takes to choose kindness. You know, I could just, and maybe you can too, those moments where we just want to whack someone. Now, out of kindness, that's helpful. But if it's something else, sometimes that's good, right? Pull the rug out. but when we want to harm in some way. So it's not just an, an, an act or a thought. But kindness is a way of life. It's an imperative, I think, to our collective health and well-being. So to choose kindness over and over has been a practice so that it becomes more intuitive, that that's the go-to, that there's, it becomes no choice. It becomes intuitive. That's the response, but it's not what I learned. A little, somewhat. But it wasn't Natural somewhat. Buddha said, don't get worked up over difficulties. Don't get worked up over the things you're having to give up. Don't get worked up about how much time you've already spent on the path and how much remains to be covered. Focus calmly on the step right ahead of you and try to keep an even temper throughout. So being wise in what we vow to, not letting our fear of commitment hold us back, learning how to recognize a useful vow that aims at something really worthwhile, squeezing ourselves not too little, not too much, yet something that's outside our ordinary expectations and not so far that we come crashing down. We may think a vow means we're constantly depressed about fulfilling our vow. Not the most skillful way to relate to a vow. <laughs> we just remember, this is what I want to do. This is what I wish. Energizing ourselves a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more we thought possible. We find that each little bit becomes a lot. It all adds up. Going to places that otherwise we wouldn't have imagined. This is the power of a vow. My teacher Shugan Roshi once said, the Gatha of Atonement could be recast as the Gatha of Appreciation. All beneficial karma on account ever created by me, on account of my beginningless generosity... Compassion and wisdom, born of my body, mouth, and thought—something that large—and then when it's that large, we can't keep it to ourselves. <laughs> has to be given away. Has to be dedicated. All beneficial karma that has allowed us to be here today allows us to continue to practice as well as the negative karma that as calls us to transform into wisdom as it illuminates and frees compassion for the bodhisattva, all negative karma. All of that is to be more useful, all of it, So let that deepest yearning that you have find a voice, find an expression, and let that be your vow. So after we finish and when we uh, sit again, we're going to put out some incense boxes. And out of your zazen, when you're ready, you're welcome to come up there's some powdered incense and you just take a little bit and you touch it to your your third eye here your, your opening here and you put it on the burning charcoal, just sprinkle it not, not a ton of it, so don't take like a whole shovel of snow and put it in the well just, just, just a little bit, an offering an offering, okay? and you can, we'll sit I don't know how much time we'll have yeah, we, can, we could sit maybe two periods, okay? And within that first one, you can get up quietly and make an incense offering. And uh, there's a number of us, so we'll have enough time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.